0: Welcome to CORE Conversations. My name is Kaylee Kukla and I've spent more than a decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of two, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my professional knowledge and experience and combining it with real life, not just theory, to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations and practical tools that will inspire you to get to the heart or the core of your child's behavior and make simple yet impactful changes. Welcome. I'm so excited for this conversation today. One of my mentors, someone I look up to, I've learned so much from her and her work. It's Dr. Tina Payne Brayson. She's the author of Bottom Line for Baby, which I consider an absolutely necessary shower gift for all expecting moms. She's co authored with Dr. Dan Siegel two New York Times bestsellers, The Whole Brain Child and No Drama Discipline, which I think are great foundational parenting books. Each one of these actually has been translated into over 50 languages, which is mind-blowing. She's also co-authored The Yes Brain and The Power of Showing Up, which is my favorite parenting book. She is the founder and executive director of the Center for Connection, a multidisciplinary clinical practice in Southern California. Dr. Bryson keynotes, conferences, and conducts workshops for parents, educators, and clinicians all over the world, and she frequently consults with schools, businesses, and other organizations. The most important part of her bio, she says, is that she's a mom, two or three boys, which makes her so relatable to me. You can learn more about Dr. Bryson at tinabryson.com. Also, make sure to follow her on Instagram at Tina Payne Bryson and check out those books I mentioned in her intro because they are just chock full of practical tools. So now having said that, let's jump into this conversation. So today I have a very special guest on the podcast. She is for sure a mentor of mine, someone who's a great inspiration to me. She has co-authored four books and published her own. So it's Tina Payne Brayson is here today. She has authored or co-authored The Whole Brain Child, No Drama Discipline, The Yes Brain, and The Power of Showing Up with her colleague, Dr. Dan Siegel. And then she also authored The Bottom Line for Baby. And Tina, I just have to let you know that these are the books when you get invited to a baby shower and they tell you to bring a book for the baby. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm bringing one of these books. It's usually the bottom line for mom because we all know mom needs the books (laughs) that first year. So I am just so excited to have you on today.
1: Thank you so much, Kaylee. And I'm such a fan of the work you're doing. I think you are one of the really wonderful voices out there. And so I'm honored to have this conversation with you.
0: Oh, thank you. I consider you one of the people who started this movement, right? And what I'll call in fancy terms, developmentally appropriate discipline. Like, really, the r- intentional parenting, the respectful parenting, it goes by so many names now. But, you know, 10 years ago, when you started releasing your books, this was really new information and very counter to counterculture to what was being done to discipline children. So, having written so much advice and offered so much advice, do you find that, especially now in this information age, parents can really quickly become overwhelmed with it?
1: (laughs) Yes. And we're overwhelmed (laughs) from our own internal expectations and this matters more than anything. So we want so much to do well. So we place expectations on ourselves. And especially given our own personalities and our own histories and what we bring already, right? So there's kind of the internal forces working on us. For example, I score very high on conscientiousness on personality scales, meaning I have high expectations, I pay attention to details, I like things done a certain way. Some people might call that a control freak. I like to think of it as high conscientiousness. So yes, (laughs) we bring all of this thing that matters more than anything. And then there are all these external voices, right? So we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, and we're hearing a lot of advice about how to raise great kids, right? So we want to be part of that. We want to make sure we're doing things well. And I think there's a little bit of a double-edged sword. So we're listening to these accounts, we're reading these books, we're listening to podcasts, and we're hearing all of these things. And in many ways, it's wonderful because it gives us great ways to think about our kids and great ways to think about our response in discipline moments or when our kids are tantruming or when our teenagers or four-year-olds are disrespectful to us. And great phrases to use, right? Like, I have great phrases I've loved using that are really helpful throughout parenting. So we get all of these great resources and tools, and that's the good part of it. But the other edge of the sword is it can leave us feeling like we don't measure up. And more than that, it can leave us riddled with fear in that if we say to our kids like, oh, you're okay, or heaven forbid, if we command instead of connect and redirect. Oh no, we've like ruined our kid forever. Right. Or there was a, an article that came out recently in the New Yorker called the harsh realities of gentle parenting. And you know, it was saying, yeah. And it was really kind of this idea that it was a beautifully written article too, but it was really talking about how some of this can lead us to think like, Oh no, if my praise wasn't specific and I just said, good job, (laughs) my kid's going to become an addict, right? Or whatever. So I think we have to, one of the things, and I always hate to give parents more things to think about or to do, but one of the things that I really, I don't know that a lot of people talk about this is that we ought to be frequently checking ourselves for whether or not we're doing fear-based parenting. Or if we're really more present to what's actually happening in the moment with our kid, because that fear-based parenting can lead us to terrible places. Full stop,
0: Tina, right there. (laughs) Fear-based parenting, because I think when people hear fear-based parenting, they think punitive parenting, right? Punishment-based parenting. I don't share that. I have a different definition of of fear. Right, right. No, we're not saying that. But true fear-based parenting, what I find is these, we get these thoughts about, let's say we say good job to our child instead of specific praise, which is a great thing to do, right? Either way, like giving specific praise is a great thing to do. But when we start having these thoughts of, oh my gosh, what if he only now is externally motivated? What if I've created someone who wants nothing but rewards and now he's going to have no internal motivation? Like because we've listened to all these voices. So what is that fear-based? Let's break that down for parents, that internal anxiety and fear that really can paralyze us as parents.
1: And not only paralyze us, but make us crazy (laughs) and full of anxiety and worse, make us really reactive as parents. So like, for example, I remember talking about this a lot when my kids were really little, because and I say this in the bottom line for baby is like, look, get informed and then forget about what everybody else says and trust your kid and trust development and trust yourself and ignore everybody else and just be okay with that. Right. Because what was happening, you know, it's like, oh, my kid, she's really kind of afraid at night. And so I'm letting her sleep with me and people would gasp and they'd be like, oh my gosh, (laughs) if you let her get into bed with you, she's never going to sleep on her own. And that is, first of all, false. That's not true. And I promise they stop wanting to sleep with us at some point, but I think it makes us really reactive. So then your kid's truly afraid and you have an instinct to let them come be close to you. So they feel safe. And then you're going to say, no, you can't do it because I'm afraid. And so, or here's a really, what I mean by reactive is like, I've told this story before publicly. If I tell my like I told my kid I'm like, "Hey, I'm going to take you to the movies." And he was like, "Oh, yay!" like I'm so excited and he said, "Can we get popcorn?" And I said, "No, we're not getting popcorn today. You've had a lot of junk lately." And he started to pout. Okay, so in this moment, fear-based parenting can go through the roof. And what's actually happening if I can pause that moment and really slow things down, which we can't often do in the moment, but afterwards we can reflect on it or we can get actually better at that where we kind of pause and we slow down and we do a little internal check-in. I might react in the moment without even realizing that there's fear-based parenting happening underneath and say, I can't believe you're going to pout about not getting popcorn. You know, you're so spoiled and I can yell at my kid and then start being punitive and say, fine, I'm not taking you to the movies. But that reaction is not about my kid pouting. That reaction is about me being afraid. And what I'm afraid of is that if my kid pouts when he's disappointed, which is, by the way, developmentally totally appropriate in childhood because he hasn't yet learned some of these other skills, and I'm going to address those skills for sure after the moment, but what happens is I'm like, oh my gosh, my kid is a spoiled brat. And what this means, and I'm not having these conscious thoughts. This is all happening under the surface. What this means is... He's never going to have friends and he's never going to get a job and he's going to live in a van down by the river and be an addict and never amount to anything. And so I treat my kid like crap in that moment because I have all of this fear, but he's eight and we have a lot of work to do still and a lot of time to do that work. <laughs> a lot of time to work on gratitude and about perspective and feeling disappointed and sharing that in a way that isn't unkind to the person offering something like there's all that work to do. So, so yes, fear based parenting, meaning we have fears about what our children's behavior means in terms of the future and what it means in terms of the past that we come from. Right. So what that means is it makes us anxious. It makes us reactive. It makes us paralyzed because we're like, I'm never going to be able to do anything. Right. So it's really poisonous and so unnecessary, so unnecessary,
0: okay. What you just said is we have fears from our past, so yep. the stuff we're bringing from our own histories, our own childhoods, our own stories, right, our own internal messaging that we have downloaded in us, and fears for the future. so we're projecting this whole my kid's ungrateful, he's going to be entitled a spoiled brat. he's never going to appreciate anything. So what we're missing is being present in that moment.
1: Yes. At that point in development in that (laughs) 20 minute period of your child's nervous system situation. Yeah. We really, you know, context matters a lot. Like if your kid is throwing a tantrum and pouting and you know, they're sick or, you know, they're not feeling well, or your dog just died. Like that context matters a lot for behavior, but we can actually like... So, we need to zoom out a little bit to think about context. But if we zoom out where we're living in the past or we're living in the future, you know, we call it like the paralyzing past and the fearful future, be in the moment in that moment. And then, you know, it's all the stuff you talk about in your work too. And is that if we really work on trying to help our child feel seen in that moment, like, so I'm just, those listeners are probably like, okay, so how do you do it in the moment when your kid pouts for popcorn, right? So, my job (laughs) in that moment is to be present and to, slow down my own response, right, to take a deep breath and to respond to my child in a way that matches his internal experience. So I say, oh, you looked so excited a minute ago when I mentioned the movies and now you look really disappointed. What happened? And I just stay curious. I stay connected to him. And he says, well, I love movie popcorn. And the last time we went, we got it and it's just my favorite and we don't go very often. So I just felt disappointed. Then I can say, yeah, when we don't get something we are hoping for or that we really want and it doesn't happen, of course you feel disappointed. That's what happens. And that's a good, healthy feeling. And I'm here with you while you're feeling disappointed. We're still not getting the popcorn. Would you still like to go? Right. So I'm still holding the boundary, but it's really about being connected to my kid in the moment. And I want to say, given everything we've been talking about, if in that moment, and I've done it a million times, I'm like, seriously, you're going to pout about the popcorn? And I don't have a reflective dialogue with my kid. And I don't pause and listen to my own reactivity and calm my own self. And I maybe even criticize him or berate him. Like, I can't believe you're pouting about something so little. If I do all of those things, I want you all to hear me clearly. It's okay. That moment, if you handle it terribly, Or, like most of us do in an average way, and you're not not just going into these wonderful reflective moments in a present way, your kid's fine. I promise you. You can always make the repair. You can go back, hey, I thought about this earlier. You were disappointed, and I kind of made you feel bad about sharing how you were feeling with me. And I really wish I had done that differently. I'm ready to listen. What do you want to tell me about that? So, you can just make the repair. And you know what? If you don't make the repair, It's okay, too. Like, you're going to have a million, million moments. I want you all to hear. We've got to stop being so precious about every single freaking moment because we can't. That is an impossible standard. You do not have to have a reflective dialogue with your child for 45 minutes about their feelings about putting their shoes on. Honestly, that's probably less than helpful. It's probably weird. Like, let's just... (laughs) chill everyone. And just know like, yes, specific praise is great. But if you say good job to your kid, who cares? It's really about the collective experience in the context of your child, knowing you're going to show up for them when they need you. They're not going to lose. They're never going to lose your love. And these micro moments matter. Yes, they do. My life's work says what we do as parents matter. But Every moment can't matter to the most nth degree. You will kill yourself.
0: Right. Because what it does when we're hyper analyzing, we're in a state as parents of hypervigilance because we're so on edge that we're gonna mess up, or then we go down this the pit of despair, right? The shame spiral when maybe we do shame our kid. Like, I can't believe you're acting this way. I'm doing a nice thing for you, taking you to the movie, and you're pitching a fit about popcorn. We slip up because we're human we have human moments the idea that you know this is going to evoke long term damage irreparable damage it's just not true and another a piece of your work that really resonates and i've seen you post on it sporadically this idea of neuroplasticity Right. And so there's such a push of it because, yes, it's true. There's no time like early childhood for neuroplasticity. It's an incredible part, but it's never like it's done. It's never like we don't have the power to go back and change it. So just knowing about, we can explain neuroplasticity and what that means, but just knowing that the brain is always changeable, workable, pliable, not every moment is going to amount to devastation within our child and to release this idea of perfect parenting because it doesn't exist. I get that all the time. Like, and I'm sure you do too. Like you're the perfect mom or you always know what to say or you always, do I have more tools at the top of mind because it's all I talk about in my professional work? Sure, but do I still fall apart sometimes because I'm a human being and I mess up and I get upset with my kids? Yeah, absolutely I do.
1: And kids are really annoying. I mean, they are, they are really (laughs) annoying. And sometimes our spouses and partners are really annoying. And sometimes too many people are asking too many things of us. And we haven't peed by ourselves in four years, you know, like, let's just be real around all of this. I think, you know, let's go back to this idea of neuroplasticity, because I think it's a really key element to bring into this conversation that a lot of people don't talk about. Okay. So Here's just a little tiny nugget of science, and that is we have these inborn temperaments and we have this genetic coding that is already present that is part of who we are, right? So plasticity is about the ability to change or be molded based on experience. Now, our neuroplasticity and how our brain changes from experience is also restrained or even, I guess the right word is constrained by our genetics, and by development. Okay. So I can give my six month old, a lot of experiences about speaking. I could read Shakespeare to my six month old and my (laughs) six month old will not be able to quote Shakespeare. Okay. So even though there's a lot of experience coming at my six month old, there is a constraintment of development. They are not yet ready to speak. They are not yet ready to understand language. You know, a lot of people still struggle with Shakespeare. It's hard, right? I'm married to an English professor and I still struggle. <laughs> I was an English major. I still struggle. So there's the constraint of development. We can provide experiences to kids where we're laying the groundwork. Great. If you want to read Shakespeare to your six month old, knock yourself out. But just know that there's a constraint of development. And when your child is ready, so it's like offering the potty chair and you may have it available. And when your child is ready to start trying it, then that's great. So we have the constraint of development. We also have the constraint of genetics, meaning a lot of you listeners have kids who are neurodiverse. And so you may have a kid who is really overwhelmed by some Form of sensory input or who needs more sensory input in order to make sense of their world, right? And part of that genetic stuff is inborn temperament. So you may have a child who is really bright. And, and what tends to go with that is self-consciousness, hyperanalysis, Possibly some emotional and social immaturity that goes with these high cognitive capacities, at least throughout middle childhood and early childhood. And they tend to be really hard on themselves. And so, when you go to have a reflective dialogue with your child to help them build skills and talk about emotional regulation for the next time, and they get dysregulated again, it's because they're spending all kinds of time already being hard on themselves. They've already thought about the behavior they just had. And so, this is like a moment where we want to honor individual differences. So we have to think about all the tools that Kaylee gives you, all the tools that I give you and a million other people give you, they may or may not work for your particular child at that particular time in development. And so keep those things in mind. And if they don't work, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean anything other than it's just not working. And so try something else. So This main idea of plasticity is constrained by development and genetics and keeping in mind that history, and this is something Dan and I say in The Power of Showing Up, history is not destiny. And we mean that, of course, in terms of how we were raised and how our brains were wired for relationships, but we also mean it in terms of no matter how you parented earlier today or last week or the last six months or the last five years, We can always change what we're doing and our children will benefit because especially when we think about attachment patterns and social emotional regulation and some of these other things that are honestly quite plastic are based on repeated experiences. So when we start changing the experiences, the brain begins to change. This is the plasticity. So it's full of message of hope for all of us in that we can always do things differently and our child can benefit because their brains are so plastic. So if you feel bad about a certain way you've been parenting, make a change. And even small changes start to add up.
0: This conversation is made possible through my core membership program. If you want to dive deeper into parenting questions, connect with a like-minded community, have access to a huge database of workshops, guidebooks, and weekly Q&As with me so I can answer all of your parenting questions all for less than $20 a month. Go to www.kayliekukla.com backslash core to learn more. That's www.c-a-l-e-y-k-u-k-l-a.com backslash c-o-r to learn more. It's also linked in the show notes. Now let's get back to our core conversation. I think that this is a conversation that I love and I have a lot around parent guilt, right? If it feels bad, if it feels off to you, then that's a signal that some of your behavior, some of what you're doing doesn't align with your beliefs or your idea in your head. And so that should not be a signal to sit and dwell in guilt or shame as a parent because I'm not living up to who Tina says I should be or who Kaylee or who Mona or whoever, all of these fabulous voices out there. It should just be a signal that this isn't what I wanna do or who I wanna be. And so that reflection piece is so key to that. I'm so glad
1: you brought this up. I want to talk about this because I want to take it even a step further. So, one thing we have to understand about the brain is that when we do what you talked about, when we have this, mo- like we think about something we did as a parent, I know there were times I talked to my kids in ways I would never talk to anyone else and I would never let anyone else talk to my kid like that, right? So really what I felt terrible about. And what happens though is if I ruminate on that and I stay stuck in it and I go into this shame spiral and beat myself up internally. What happens is it actually makes me primed. It makes my nervous system primed. Shame. Shame makes my nervous system primed to be more likely to be reactive in the next moments with my child. So it's not helpful. What is helpful is reflection. And I want to go a step further and say, when you feel like crap about your parenting, to me, that is super, super important and awesome. We should all feel like crap about our parenting. And here's why. (laughs) Here's why. If you never feel bad about how you are parenting, you're either a robot or you are completely in a dissociated almost state of not reflecting, not growing, not learning. So when you feel bad, about a moment or a way or an approach or a long period of time, it doesn't have to be just a moment. It could be like, I feel bad about how I've handled this the last three years. That is an invitation. It's a really important feeling that we want to be curious about and pay attention to because one, typically it means that something is not happening in a way that works for us. So we have to start with ourselves and say, what is it that's getting in the way for me to be the parent I want to be? And it's like, I'm not getting enough sleep. I haven't had an adult conversation. I feel resentful (laughs) toward my partner, whatever it is. Like that is important information. Pay attention to it because especially as women, We have been taught to make ourselves smaller and to not listen to those voices so that we can be in more service of others. When you have that feeling, it means you may have a need that is not being met. So you're like, what do you need right now? Ask yourself with kindness and curiosity. And then when you feel bad, it's an invitation to say, okay, what was that about for me? and what got in the way, and what is it that I want to be intentional about doing differently? And so if you feel that way, it means you're learning. It means you're growing. It means you're changing. It means your brain is being, you know, the plasticity is happening. So I want to say that feeling you have, don't get stuck in it. Approach it with curiosity. Invite it to give you information, invite it to talk to you and lead you to changes for yourself and changes in how you handle parenting. It's a really, really good, important thing. And it's not all that different from when my kid says, I'm really mad. And I say, wow, you know, it's so good that you have that feeling inside of you because that feeling you have is telling you something's not working for you. What is it you need? Pay attention to that feeling. And as a society, we tend to think that anger or anxiety or guilt, any kind of negative emotion, we should just distract ourselves from. And what I'm saying is we can do this for ourselves. We can do this for our kids. Lean into it, invite it, approach it, listen to it. It's important and it's transformational.
0: Okay. There's so many things I love and I'm going to try and pull out two threads to wrap it up. One of them is the awareness piece. If you feel like crap about your parenting, which is totally going to be like in the Instagram quote that I choose for this podcast, but if you feel if it doesn't feel good to you, then that's already a sign that, hey, you're developing awareness. So this subconscious, these subconscious behavior patterns that you weren't even aware of to a point that they're just automatic, right? They're automatic for you. Now you're becoming aware. And that consciousness, bringing the unconscious to consciousness, is what then allows us to even explore it, sit with it, be curious with it, and figure out, okay, what can I do differently? And so often the what can I do differently is, hey, what need? I find this so much with moms, right? And I think it is a really huge just commentary on societal pressures and societal messaging that women receive is that our needs are less important, And so we can shove them down, but then what happens is this resentment builds and builds and builds and we get dysregulated. And the question is, well, why? Why do I yell at my kids so much? It's like, well, when was the last time you peed or you sat down and you ate a meal or you had connection with people that fill your cup rather than drain it? Those type of pieces of parenting. So instead of going down the shame spiral, let's first celebrate that you're even aware of it. And shame isn't a bad, like no emotion is bad. So feeling shame isn't a bad thing. That shame is trying to tell you something. It's trying to tell you something I'm doing is in alignment with who I am.
1: Let's use the word guilt. Guilt, instead of right. Shame, yeah. shame because right. Because shame guilt. is where we're like, I'm a defective Identity. person. Yes. Yeah. So that healthy guilt, that's a good, important emotion. I know you have one other thread you want to pull through, but I want to say too, based on what we said earlier, If we're feeling bad about our parenting, we need to a little bit ask this question, like, is what I'm feeling about legitimate? And obviously all feelings are legitimate. Or am I feeling bad about my parenting because I'm not the parent I want to be? Or am I feeling bad about my parenting because I'm holding myself up to this unrealistic standard that we talked about earlier, where you feel like you have to be everything and do everything and say it the perfect way. And if you don't say it the perfect way, your kid's going to be an addict and live in a van down by the river. And so making sure that when we're feeling bad, we're also asking that question. Is this feeling that I have something that is based in reality or not? And one good question to ask ourselves is, am I doing better now than I was a month ago or two months ago or three months ago? And if other people were to look at this, if everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're the best parent and they don't know what happens behind closed doors. I mean, obviously not everyone sees all the ugly, right? But I think it's really important that we ask that question too, because we might be feeling bad about our parenting when we don't need to.
0: Right. So the last point that I really wanted to bring out and you hit on it with the neuroplasticity, our own growth and all that good stuff, that healthy stuff that can happen. But if we're so... And this could be a whole separate conversation. But if we are so caught up in this hyper-analytical guilt, spiral, anxiety, we really lack confidence as a parent. And our children need to know that we're confident in what we're doing. They need us to show up in a way that shows them that we can handle this. I might not know everything. I might not know all the right things to do and to say, and I might mess up, but even the mess ups, we can handle it. We've got this. I love that.
1: I love that. That's such an important point that I've never thought of. And I think that that confidence that we have as parents, like I've got you, is crucial for our kids to feel safe. And so... You know, that's why I love the power of showing up because we talk about the four S's of safe, seen, soothed, and secure, and that's my North star. And so I feel like I can enter confidently into most situations if I am holding that in my mind as my kind of everything I do and say in that moment is to help them feel safe, seen, soothed, and secure. And I think, you know, that confidence builds upon itself too. And I think it's the confident people that can say, you know what? I didn't handle that great. If you're insecure, you're going to defend your position and you're going to blame others. So I think it doesn't undermine our confidence in our children's eyes at all when we come back and make a repair. It actually reinforces that we have the confidence to be vulnerable in that way and to make things right as well. I love that point, Kaylee. It's super important, that confidence. And the more we feel confident coming into parenting moments, that just builds upon itself. And it does. It helps our kids feel a lot safer too. So I think releasing this
0: idea, the message I want people to take away from this conversation is releasing this idea of being the perfect parent, of having all the right words all the time, of of showing perfectly textbook every time, because that's just going to hinder you. That's just going to keep you in, stuck in that place of shame and guilt. And instead say, you know what? I might screw this up. I might say the wrong things. I probably will. I guaranteed will at some point. So why not just step in and know confidently that you're the most important person to show up for your child in that moment?
1: And we're much better parents than we think we are. Even when we feel like we're like, I told my friend when my oldest was three and he and I had this battle and I would handle it differently now, but at the time, I flipped my lid, and I threatened to remove a body part. He stuck his tongue out at me, and I told him if he stuck his tongue out one more time, I was going to rip it out of his mouth. He immediately fell to the floor and cried and said, you didn't make a good choice, and you know then I immediately connected with him and repaired. But I felt so horrible, and I called my friend, Ellen, and I said... In fact, I ran into her last week at a Nordstrom Rack and, and we were laughing about this moment. This was 19 years ago. And I said, I just had this horrible parenting moment. And she said, do you want to go to Ikea, grab the kids? We're having meatballs. And I was like, okay, which I actually think are pretty gross. But back in the, I was like, sure, whatever. So we go and we're sitting there and I tell her the story and she just looks at me and laughs and she says, oh, that's nothing. I do stuff like that all the time. She's like, I just wake up in the morning and say, don't be wicked. Don't be wicked. And so sometimes it's helpful to kind of share our stories with each other. I think it's so important, too, that we know, yes, I'm going to mess it up. But here's one thing I think I just posted about this on social media recently. Anytime we're feeling insecure, for me, what I feel most insecure about as a parent is like, am I doing it right in a way that's like leading my kid to where I want them to be? Like, am I too intrusive or not involved enough? I don't know, right? Like in terms of supporting when grades aren't going so well, do I step in more or do I let them keep navigating it? And how long do I do that? Like, there's so many things that, you know, we can feel really unsure about. Maybe that's the better word. I feel really unsure about Or should I worry about my kid or not? Do I just trust development to unfold here? Is this going to be okay? I don't know. Is it? And that's the kind of stuff that weighs on me. And one of the things that has helped me so much, Dr. Michael Thompson one time used the phrase trust development, and it's kind of become my mantra, but still there are times we do need to step in. There are times we actually should worry. And so to me, the thing that helps me so much is to ask ourselves Is my kid better at whatever this thing is that I'm worrying about than they were six months ago? Are we moving in the right direction? And if the answer is no, get some help, get some support. Even if the professional says you really don't need to worry about this, great. Then you can cross it off the list. Worst case scenario, you've wasted a little bit of time and money, but if you feel like, yes, my kid is more is kinder to his brother than he was six months ago. Yes, he's more responsible than he was six months ago. Or maybe you even have to go back a year. But if you feel like they're moving in the right direction, to me, that allows me to take a breath and rest in what I do believe, which is to trust development. So that's been really helpful to me in the specific areas where I feel unsure is to ask that question.
0: I love that. Thank you for that nugget. Because I think when we remind ourselves to trust development, it helps us downgrade the, sen- the feeling of urgency and emergency to address it and quote unquote, nip it in the bud. You know, it's not.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it is urgent and sometimes parents are in denial and they need to get support and help. And we know that early intervention is always better. So if your instinct is that your child needs some support in some area, get some help. Talk to somebody. You know, we pay people to consult with us on our taxes. Why wouldn't we talk to a parent, you know, a child development specialist or a child psychologist and say, a lot of parents don't know this. You can do a parent consult. You don't have to sign your kid up for therapy. You can call a child psychologist or a pediatric psychotherapy practice and say, I need a parent consultation. And you go in and for 45 or 50 minutes, you take your list of questions in, you bounce it off this expert. And get some practical strategies. You know, we pay for doctor visits, we pay for other kinds of things. This can be really helpful. And if you don't have the time or resources to do that, great people to talk to are educators, your child's teacher, your child's pediatrician. And if they give you advice that doesn't feel right to you about your kid, get another opinion. So,
0: second opinions. Yeah. I love second opinions.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> I love,
0: you know, so I- you get the answer you want. <laughs> I just keep asking, but then, you know, I'm an information gatherer that very much is who I am. And so I gather all this information and then I sit with it and I say, okay, what aligns with what I'm feeling, what I'm noticing? And again, it's getting back and trusting going from that fear based to that trust based, trusting development and trusting our own instincts. If we get caught up in the voices we lose the instinct that is just internal. So
1: nobody knows your kid as well as you and nobody knows your family like you do. And, you know, I've certainly had pediatricians and other experts give me really terrible advice too. So it's really important to gather information, but do what you know is right for your child and your family.
0: Yes. Well, Tina, thank you so much for your time and for being here today. I greatly appreciate your input and expertise. Tell people, I know you know your Instagram at Tina, go ahead and tell us your Instagram, your website.
1: On Instagram and other social media, it's Tina Payne Bryson, P-A-Y-N-E-B-R-Y-S-O-N. And my website is tinabryson.com. And Kaylee, I always love talking to you. I just appreciate you and the work you're doing. It's so fun to be There doesn't need to be competition in this field among experts. Like we all have voices and it's, we all are contributing to this revolution of beautifully called developmentally appropriate (laughs) discipline and child rearing. Um, So I'm honored, I'm honored to connect with you and have you be a fellow colleague on this path.
0: That is an honor, Tina. Thank you so much. Thank you for being, like you said, the North Star, your book, The Power of Showing Up. If people haven't checked that out, that is for sure my go-to as is the whole brain child. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Kaylee.